Hi, and welcome to the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. And I'm David Averbach, CEO and Publisher. We are here to report on Apple's Mac event that was just held a couple hours ago. We got a new line of Macs with Apple's own M1 chip. This is a first for Apple. And so we're going to tell you what that means for you, whether you should buy the new Macs, and whether we got any other surprise announcements at the event, if you just stay tuned. And first, David's going to tell us about our sponsor for this episode. Yeah, so this was perfect timing because our sponsor for today is Matthias. And Matthias manufactures keyboards, uh, and they have really excellent third-party keyboards for both Macs and PCs and also iPhones and iPads. Um, And they have a couple that I want to tell you about today. The first one is they have a wired keyboard that uh, Apple has actually stopped making wired keyboards now. So they have a wired keyboard uh, that really premium materials uh, made of aluminum matches sort of the style you're used to with Apple. And so one of the new products announced today was the Mac Mini, which if you buy a Mac Mini, you're just getting the computer part. You're not getting any of the third party stuff like a monitor, a mouse, a, a keyboard. And so I would highly recommend Matthias. I actually have a Matthias keyboard right in front of me. Uh, The other product I want to recommend, though, which is just my favorite Matthias product, is their Bluetooth keyboard. Um, It has a couple advantages over Apple's Bluetooth keyboard. First of all, again, it's premium materials. It's high quality. It matches your Mac. But it also has a battery life that lasts over a year as opposed to, uh, I believe, Apple's lasts like three months. It is backlit. uh, And they do this cool thing where they have two batteries so that when you're, because backlighting drains the battery. So if you're drain your backlighting battery, you can still use your keyboard. Um, It also pairs with up to four devices and they have buttons there to quickly switch. So you can have it paired with your iPad, paired with your new Mac and switch back and forth. Um, So make sure you check it out. We'll link to in the show notes. Um, And the name is Matthias, M-A-T-I-A-S. So this is a fun episode for us because uh, historically we have only covered Apple's mobile devices. And really, it's only been this year that we've started covering Apple's uh, desktop devices, too. So uh, you can expect more of that from us. But this is our first podcast, I think, where we're focusing on Macs. Yeah, it's fun. It's a whole new world. (laughs) Yeah. So we're just going to jump right into it and first give you an overview of what Apple announced and what our our takeaways were. And then we'll get into some of the more specifics and have uh, Raf, our chief technology officer, join us and share his expert take because, you know, he knows a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> so David, do you want to share your overall take on the announcement? Yeah, well, I think the, obviously the big headline is these are the first Macs that have Apple's silicon chip. So up until now, Apple has been using an Intel chip and they have now switched to using their own in-house chip that they manufacture themselves. Uh, It's called the M1. And so they announced three new computers that will be using this new M1 chip. Uh, The first one is the MacBook Air. Second one is the MacBook Pro 13 inch. And then the third one is the Mac Mini. Um, So they announced three computers and we'll get into some of those specs, but really the upgrades to the computers were minimal. the main thing was these are the first computers running the new chips, and that is 
as you'll hear in a minute when we talk to Raphael, a pretty large shift in terms of how uh, if you change the core operating system the computer uses, it, it has a lot of cascading effects. So a lot of it in this uh, announcement was just pro kind of going through all of the changes and you know what to expect. Yeah, and my the thing that stood out to me was the um, the point that these new Macs will be able to run iPhone and iPad apps. That has mm -hmm. me really intrigued, and we'll hear more from Raph about that. But that seems like a big advantage both for users and for Apple to be able to control its experience with apps across all of its devices. I mean, we talk a lot, David, uh, on the podcast about why we love Apple so much, and it's because of like the integrated experience across all the devices. So it does seem like there's a lot of promise here with the new M1 chip. But um, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't officially announce who Raf is, I should do that now. So Raphael Burns, he's our chief technology officer, is going to join us today. David had the great idea to have him join because he can explain a lot of this in a little bit more of technical terms for us. So Yeah, and in particular afterwards, we'll kind of break down the computers and some of the more consumer angled choices that you have to make. But we wanted to bring Raphael in because largely this is about the chip. And while Donna and I love talking about uh, Apple products, the actual details of a new chip, an ARM-based chip, is just a little bit out of our comfort zone. So we brought in an expert for you all. <laughs> Not only that, but David and I can tend to get like too overexcited and Raph <laughs> will bring us all down to earth a little bit. <laughs> all right, so without further ado, here is Raph and we'll be back. Thanks for joining us, Raph. Yeah, absolutely, happy to join, exciting. <laughs> So Raph, I think my first question for you is just, can you explain a little bit about what this change is? What is the difference between an Intel chip and Apple's new M1 silicon chip? So the, the core difference is, um, is the instruction set that the chip uses. Um, and uh, it uses an ARM instruction set as opposed to uh, Intel chipsets, which are, uh, I believe, RISC. Okay, Don't and why? But it's a different okay, chipset, so, a di different instruction what does, set. For layman terms, what does that matter? What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, for, for, for the average user, it really does not mean a whole lot. Um, the ARM instruction set is more efficient, um, but it has much less, historically, uh, up until now, and ARM as an instruction set has been around for a long time, but up until now, its, its adoption has been very limited. Um, and so it's in embedded uh, software systems, embedded hardware situations, uh, like you know, if you have some, some software in your new smart fridge or something, uh, it's often running on ARM, or particularly if it needs to be very efficient, uh, battery efficient. Uh, and notably, efficient. notably the iPhone and iPad are running on ARM architecture, is that correct? Yes, yes, they are. Okay. For, for people who are you know in the market to buy a new Mac like what like why would they be excited about this if at all um, it's definitely it's it's a little bit of a tough one for me and I you know to some degree I think we have to wait a little bit and see you know exactly how it shakes out anytime there's a new processor announcement um, there's a lot of there's a lot of 
you know, grandiose claims about performance and all of this kind of thing. And you, you really have to wait and see what third party, uh, third party benchmarks actually say. Um, now, the one thing that I can think of off the top of my head, I mean, there's two things actually off the top of my head that would be that could be great for for why we should be excited potentially. Uh, one is the battery performance could be fantastic compared to uh, what it is today. Uh, the the ARM instruction set significantly more efficient, so you could get much better battery performance. Um, and then the second thing that you know sounds pretty compelling to me is uh, being able to have you know your iPhone and iPad applications you know running day one on uh, on your Mac uh, that seems those to me seem like the most concrete benefits to 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 the average user um, right out of the gate and I think in addition to that Apple made a lot of claims about how powerful this processor is going to be, how it's eight core, how it's one processor instead of several processors. They made a lot of claims about three times the computing power relative to PCs. What do you make of all those claims? Do you, I obviously, like you said, the disclaimer is we have to wait and see uh, what the third party benchmarks are. But based on what you've read so far, uh, what do you make of those claims? Do you believe that this will be a much more powerful chip than Intel's current line of chips? Um, I'm very skeptical of that. Um, I mean, definitely, we just have to wait and see. I would, I would have a healthy, I have a healthy dose of skepticism around this, um, particularly because a lot of the language that they used in the announcement was sort of couching everything that they were saying, like, you know, the MacBook Air is faster than, you know, the most, the best selling comparable PC laptop and it's like the best selling compare you know mo more people are buying lower end than higher end devices so it's like is that really what you want to be comparing it against um, so that's like one factor and then there were a couple other things that you have to be really careful with like uh, and some of this is unconfirmed you know there's just speculation at this point but um, there's a possibility that they have eight cores that four of those cores are performance cores and four of them are very low power usage cores. And so the benefit of that is you can kind of downgrade your performance to extend your battery life. But what's the, what's the performance of that? And when they're talking about, um, you know, when you're talking about eight cores, are you going to be able to use all eight cores at the same time? Now, all of this happens behind the scenes to an average user. It's not like anybody has to do anything different. Uh, but they all play into what, you know, what do those benchmarks look like? And do you get uh, another factor is like, can you have peak performance? Sometimes they'll say the peak performance. And it's like, well, maybe it's 16 times faster for a second. And then the performance degrades again. And so it's like, is that really faster? Well, yes, sort of. But for the average user, if you're trying to, you know, record some audio or edit a video or, you know, whatever, uh, practically it could mean nothing uh, effectively. So I think we have to be very cautious about about the claims and just and just see how they go. Um, one other thing on that point was that uh, I, I saw some reports uh, on forums already that they were, and I, I haven't verified this, so take this with a grain of salt, but they were comparing the 
um, the the new Apple Silicon computer against a revision back of processor for MacBook Air. <clears throat> um, so not the most recent revision and saying it's faster than that if you look at the fine print. So if that's the case, it, it's, it's pretty painful. Um, and hmm. so th there's some time <laughs> before we get to comparable performance. Yeah, it's really nice having <laughs> you help us cut through some of the marketing jargon that Apple uses to understand what it actually means. But um, what I have to say does sound exciting from what you said is the battery performance. Like that, on my MacBook Pro, I, I'm to a point with it where it lasts only about like maybe an hour and a half or something like that. And having a MacBook Pro that you could just, or Air, that you could just uh, travel around with for hours without having to worry about that sounds pretty great. And um, I was just curious in terms yeah. of the iPhone apps and that can run on your Mac, if you have any sort of uses for that that you think would be especially cool. Like they mentioned for gamers, it could be pretty great. Um, but beyond that, can you think of any ways that that could be a pretty big breakthrough for people? Um, I mean, the thing, it's a little bit hard to predict in there. I think the area that potentially is compelling is that it opens up a new, it potentially opens up an opportunity for developers to come up with completely new um, applications. And, 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 and what I mean by that is, it enables, it just changes the math for a developer potentially on how do they, what's their, uh, what's their upper limit on users that they can get? Um, and does it make sense to invest in, you know, an application? And if it's a scenario where <clears throat> they're talking about developing features uh, in two completely separate applications, one for Mac and one for iOS, uh, and then maybe, you know, maybe one for Android and one for uh, uh, Windows, um, Every additional platform that they have to support, you know, they have to see the the sales uh, or whatever their monetization strategy is for their business, whatever their business model is. It has to work, um, and so the potential there that that could could really come down uh, as as a benefit for end users um, is that it it shifts. Uh, it could shift the incentives for developers. Now, there's a there's a flip side of that as well, which um, some developers may decide that supporting the Intel architecture uh, and the Apple Silicon architecture does not make sense for them. Um, potentially, uh, very large game game companies may not want to do that. Um, so, you know, it could go either way, but that's one potential benefit I could see. And Raph, this actually brings me to one of the questions that I had, which is Apple has promised that they're going to use something called Rosetta Stone to be able to use Intel-based uh, software on the new computers. How much should we believe that claim? Uh, how many Intel-based uh, applications are actually going to be able to work on the new computers? There's definitely, I mean, we have to be, we just have to see. I, I'm skeptical, certainly, and I can give some historical context. So previously, Apple uh, was on PowerPC, and then when they switched to Intel, they had actually the same thing. They had Rosetta, which allowed 
you to run applications that were written for the previous architecture without having the developers having to update them, basically. And, um, you know, they claimed that you would get 80, about 80% 80 performance. Uh, in actuality, it varied, but I think it was somewhere between 30 and 40% was the actual, uh, uh, actual performance you would get. <clears throat> so that obviously is, you know, that's a huge hit uh, on um, how, how effective that is. And uh, importantly, there are some categories that are just not at all going to, to, uh, to work at all. Um, it's going to be, that's probably a smaller subset, but for developers, for example, who are using virtual machines or who need that kind of functionality, they just are not going to have that capability at all, full stop. And, and so what do they do? Um, it's tricky. Yeah, great. So I have one more question. I don't know if Donna has any more. And this is something Donna and I will be debating a lot after we let you go back to your, your day job. But what is your buying recommendation? Should people be buying these new computers? Or who should be buying them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think I would, I mean, I personally, if you really just want the newest thing, then that, you know, I could potentially see that if, if it's a novelty thing. Um, it's, it's hard for me to recommend it as a, as a like primary work, workhorse kind of computer at this point. Um, I think Certainly, I would advise that you let somebody else go first and then see how it actually, how so many of these claims on performance, battery life, uh, and compatibility with uh, legacy applications, um, how, that, how that goes before you, before you jump in. Um, you know, they, they did come at a, at a nice price point, so that was compelling. Um, but I, I would wait personally. Um, and but what's tricky, and we've talked about this a little bit um, uh, off the air, so to speak. Uh, but it's tricky to also advise or suggest buying uh, an Intel-based Mac right now, if that is going to be um, deprecated at some point and not updated. It's it's tough, <laughs> either way. So maybe just wait for now, if you're yeah, <laughs> unless would, you need to buy wait. a new device. Yeah, I would wait. One thing they mentioned a lot at the um, announcement, and this is just my last question before we let you go, but they talked a lot about the new operating system for the Mac, Mac OS Big Sur, and how that like pairs so nicely with, it can, runs really well on the M1 chip, and I was just wondering <laughs> if you had any opinions on that. Like, Do you think that there's, there's truth to that, that in order to take advantage of Big Sur, you should get a, an M1 Mac? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Not. I mean, definitely the first part of it is is almost certainly true in that, you know, they, you know, because they've had the opportunity to develop the software specifically for it, um, it certainly the M1 chip will perform better uh, on Big Sur, or maybe I should go the other way around. Big Sur will perform better on an M1 chip probably than on any other chip. Um, so from that perspective, uh, I, you know, I think that that's almost certainly going to be true. Um, yeah. And um, Big Sur is going to be available Thursday. And I was curious if you had any recommendations for people about 
putting that on their Macs. I mean, I know I have an older MacBook Pro and I'm a little hesitant to go ahead and put, I haven't like updated to last year's uh, software update either because I just didn't yeah. want to mess with it. So I was wondering, even if you have a compatible Mac, does that mean you should you should go ahead and put that on your device? Um, I tend not to, although for me, my, I may be a little bit outside of the normal the normal use case for, for the average user. Certainly, if you have any applications that there's some question uh, of of compatibility, it's 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 a little bit dicey uh, every Mac update. Um, other other uh, one of the funny areas where Microsoft actually does a better job of keeping backward compatibility between versions, whereas Apple's attitude is a little bit more like you know, well, we're going to change everything, and if you like it, that's great. Otherwise, you know, there's the door, um, and so th they're more happy to break things um, between updates. So. I tend to be fairly conservative on, on Mac OS updates. I what can, are some of the bad things that, that happen? Yeah, like what are some of the bad things that can happen? Because you, on the other, you know, to the contrary for the iPhone and iPad updates, I feel like you have always yeah. recommended you should update. Your phone's going to be more Definitely. secure. Um, if, you know, there's a lot of bug fixes, things like that. Like why yeah. is your recommendation different for Mac? Um, there's a couple of different reasons. I mean, for me, I often run into, I've had numerous times that the upgrade has not gone smoothly and I've had to restore from backups. Um, and I've had, to, it just ended up being a whole ordeal. Um, I have also had the scenario where, you know, some application, usually it's a some, something around development or a professional application, uh, all of a sudden doesn't work in the new version uh, in the in the new operating system um, or there there can be w just weird you know there are bug fixes but they also can introduce bugs um, it really just depends um, and then the other reason that that is a little bit dicey uh, is you know, people are concerned about sort of uh, planned obsolescence and inflation of, you know, why, why is it that 10 years ago I could run a spreadsheet with a computer that was theoretically 100 times slower than the one today and I can still just barely run my spreadsheet? Well, you know, it's not really planned obsolescence, but there are a lot of new features and functionality. And if you keep increasing the software load while keeping your hardware the same, uh, it's going to get slower most of the time um, because for the most part people would rather get new features than they will get would get performance uh, improvements and so that just often is is where it, it you know it depends that there are exceptions to that uh, I don't remember maybe one or two revisions ago there was a, a performance focus Mac OS update where they explicitly said you know we're not adding new features it's just going to be bug fixes and performance or those are the highlights uh, and then in that case it's you know it was it was a good idea in my opinion to upgrade but you, you have to be careful Thanks, Raph. I'm just laughing to myself because I feel like this is not what people are going to want to hear. Like they're going to be like, "I want to buy a new Mac now, and I yeah. want to I want to upgrade to the newest software." But it I uh, it's appreciated. You can like help us be a little more realistic and cautious. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one one thing I just remembered actually on the on the per new purchase decision was uh, it looked like 
we've gone backwards in total supported RAM uh, system memory for um, both the MacBook Air and the Pro. I believe the last revision could go up to 32 gigs and the new one is only 16, I believe I saw. Uh, I at least right. for yeah. at least for the Air and maybe also for the Pro. And so, you know, it that's another scenario. If you need a high memory, it's definitely you want to weigh it for sure. Which I don't, most people want that. Yeah. Right. I mean. they, well, I don't know. I, they, they, of course, didn't release the 15-inch, so they right. only did the 13-inch, which is inherently a little, like, if you're buying a 13-inch, you're not necessarily buying it to be your power workhorse yeah. computer. And I think for the vast majority of people, 16 gigabytes is enough. Yeah, that's um, probably if enough. If you're like Raf and has hundreds of tabs open, or you're doing really heavy lifting like Photoshop or... Uh, some sort of um, video, video processing, then you want 32 gigs. But I think for most people, they'll be okay. But it is notable that they went backwards for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just another area. It's just another thing to keep in mind that, you know, there are improvements. But, uh, and I'll throw in one other thing that I always, and I don't know why I didn't mention this before, but it actually is like a kind of fundamental thing. When you change a platform, and there's this is mitigated to some degree because iOS has been on. Uh, the same instruction set for so long, but you, when you change a platform, there are going to be problems with that change. It's just, it's not a trivial change. And so how well did that, you know, did the Q, was the QA process, how well was all of that? Uh, I don't know, but um, that's tricky. <laughs> well, thanks, Raf. Do you have right. any more questions, David, or should we... Let Raf get back to his other important work. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're good. Thanks so much, Raf. Yeah, absolutely. Have fun. Yeah, y'all. we should have you on our show more often. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, Bye. a real ray of sunshine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. See you all. Bye. All right, so that was great having Raf uh, explain more about the M1 chip to us, but let's talk about some of the details of the MacBook Air, Pro, and Mini, what the differences are there, and so for people who are considering making a purchase, you know, soon, before the end of the year, that we can help them out and give them the information they need. Um, so the MacBook Air, one of the things that does seem really exciting about both laptops is just improved battery life, like Raf said. That made me intrigued for sure. Um, the MacBook Pro, I was a little disappointed they didn't have a 15-inch option. If I were personally to upgrade to a Pro, I would want the 15-inch, so I'd probably want to wait for that. What about you? Yeah, yeah I'm using the 2016 15-inch, and I, I prefer, because it is my primary computer, while I do often have it plugged into a larger monitor, actually I have that right now, uh, with my Matthias keyboard, but I work remotely enough from, you know, back when I could go to coffee shops, I went to coffee shops, but now I'll just sit on my couch and I like the 15 inches. So yeah, to me that right off the bat was sort of, uh, I'm not gonna buy any of these computers. Uh, and then I think we'll get into a little bit of the other reasons I won't be buying these computers. Um, but yeah, I, 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 how about you? Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want a smaller than a 15 inch laptop. And my preference definitely at this point is to work on a laptop because you can always connect it to a monitor if you want the bigger display. But then, you know, a lot of us travel a lot now with the pandemic working remotely. It's great to be able to like work in any 
room in your house or for me now i'm in florida for a while so you can see my background for those of you who watch the podcast regularly mm -hmm. um i'm in a different setting right now but yeah so i um i i would want the the 15 inch for sure um so let yeah me just other break down let me break down the sort of differences in each one of these because I, I have these specs in front of me and i think it's worth noting so we have because a, lo a lot of uh the macbook pro 13 inch and the MacBook Air are pretty similar computers. So it's worth kind of comparing and contrasting here. The first notable difference is that the MacBook Air is cheaper. So the MacBook, the new MacBook Air is $999 versus the MacBook Pro is uh, $1299. Um, and then we have in terms of the both of the same display size at 13.3 inches, they both have the same M1 8 core chip. Uh, they both have 16 gigabytes of RAM, up to 16 gigabytes of RAM. As Raf said, we used to be able to put 32 gigabytes in the Pro, so that's a change. Um, the the one notable difference, so a couple, battery life is really where you get some notable differences. So the MacBook Air, the previous generation had a 12-hour battery life. The new generation, the MacBook Air, has an 18-hour battery life. So it's a pretty large improvement in terms of battery life, which is a really big deal for a laptop. Um, and then the Especially MacBook Especially in Pro, one that's so thin. Like they're yeah. able to fit that in like a really thin laptop. That's impressive. Well, and part of what I'm building towards in my comparing and contrasting is I don't really know why you buy the MacBook Pro 13-inch. Uh, I don't know why you pay more for that computer. It has the same processor. It has pretty comparable battery life. Um, there's not a lot of reason, in my opinion, to, to necessarily pay more for it. Um, I'm looking, too, in terms of the weight. Here we go. Um, so the weight, it's, well, there's pretty, funnily enough, pretty comparable weight. So the MacBook Pro 13 inch is three pounds and the um, the MacBook Air is 2.8 pounds, so a little lighter, but they're pretty similar computers. I really think that the winner from this announcement is going to be that MacBook Air at 999. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, one of the little things I noticed that they uh, differences was that the MacBook Pro has higher quality microphone, which is nice, but it doesn't seem like mm -hmm. a total selling, you know. Uh, that it would affect my purchase decision that much. And they talked a lot about how the image processor for the FaceTime camera is better, but it, I don't, it's not like a higher megapixel camera or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it, and the they MacBook did emphasize Pro, those things, which seems nice, especially like people are using Zoom so much now. Yeah, absolutely. I, the, those are nice features. The MacBook Pro does have a touch bar. Do you, oh, you, you don't have a computer with a touch bar, do you? No, I've just heard you guys all complaining about how the touch bar is useless. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty useless. Um, every once in a while, I'll use it in a way that I enjoy. But for the most part, I certainly wouldn't miss if it was gone. And part of me might even prefer it because you have these physical buttons for some of these controls, such as brightness and volume and things like that. Um, Wait, so, does yeah. the Air have Touch ID, though? Because like, don't you love that? I do love Touch ID, and yes, the Air does have Touch ID. Oh, so yeah, another reason to not get the Pro and just go there. Yeah. I, well, and it's funny because when we did our iPad 
uh, coverage, we kind of came to that same conclusion that Apple made the iPad Air really compelling to a point where there was really no reason to buy the iPad Pro. And part of me thinks that Apple is kind of shifting strategies in two ways. Number one, I think they are making their middle tier products a little bit more compelling uh, in trying to make their money off of those products as opposed to upsell everyone to the more expensive ones. I also think in a year or two, Apple is going to reinvigorate their pro lines with much better specs. And so we're sort of at this weird point in which the specs for the pro line, both in the Mac and the iPad, are pretty comparable. And I think that the Apple knows that and expects you to buy the Air, but in the long term, I can't imagine they won't ha- add a lot of new features to the Pro lines to make them stand out. On the other hand, if you are someone who needs like a really uh, a laptop that can do heavy lifting, right now you probably wouldn't want to get either of the new MacBooks. You would want to get the old MacBook Pro 15-inch right? Yeah. So let's talk about that because I think that is really the crux of the issue. And Raf touched on it as well. My personal buying recommendations right now, to be honest, is not to buy a new computer. Uh, And I know that's weird, but I think that I would have a really hard time buying a brand new computer that because computers are so expensive that has an Intel based processor because we all know that that is not the future of Mac and you're just inherently buying a computer that is going to become outdated a lot quicker. That being said, I am nervous to to buy a new a computer with the M1 chips because of number one what Raf said that there's going to be bugs early on. Number two, there's going to be a lot of software that is not compatible. Um, Now that I think will all resolve itself within the next year or two, but right off the bat, apparently Photoshop won't be available until January. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about, I think Microsoft products will be available at launch, but I'm not sure. And then we just tend to use a lot of third-party software on our computers that we don't on our phones, such as, you know, Zoom and um, Spotify and all those things. Now, a lot of them will be able to port over their iPhone version, so they might be available, but you're just kind of taking a risk right now to buy it. So I I don't know. What do you think? Would you recommend someone buy a computer right now? And if so, which one? I mean, I think if you have to buy one right now, um, it, de- it it would just completely depend on what you're using it for. Like if you are someone who's doing video editing or um, just in general have, you're doing like ha- higher powered tasks on your Mac, you're probably not gonna wanna buy one of the new ones because it doesn't have that much RAM. And mm-hmm. like because of the other reasons you were mentioning of not even knowing if the apps are gonna be supported right away. Um, and otherwise, yeah, I think, I think it's, I would go with Raf's recommendation to hold off and wait unless you really have to. But if you're doing like word processing mostly or something, the MacBook Air does seem interesting and that's probably what I would go for. Yeah. Let me, I guess to kind of frame it in a different angle, what I would say is this, here's who I think should buy a computer right now. It's someone who either is an early adopter and enjoys trying the new things or doesn't use a lot, doesn't do a lot of power 
usages. And I think most of us at this point fall in this camp. Like I don't use Photoshop very much. I don't do video editing. I use web browsers. I use a lot of Excel, uh, you know, and so I would probably be fine. And, and I'm guessing most of our listeners would be fine as well. So I don't want to over concern people. I think you'll be okay if you don't do, if you don't use a lot of enterprise software and you don't use a lot of sort of really complex third-party software such as photo editing or video editing. Um, and I think the winner clearly is the MacBook Air. I think that there's really no reason to buy the MacBook Pro 13-inch based on those comps. And at $999, you can kind of take that risk a little bit because it is the cheaper product. I think your longer battery life is great. Like, I certainly wouldn't buy a MacBook Air that's a previous generation for 12 hours of battery life, and it's really not as good of a computer. So, yeah, I'm sort of backing myself into maybe I could recommend buying a MacBook Air, but it's it's tough because I think we all just have to wait and see right now. Yeah, and then what about the Mac Mini? That's kind of we've left that as the odd man out. <laughs> I so the know. Mac Mini is the uh, the final Mac that Apple announced, and it is six ninety nine, which is a hundred dollars mm-hmm. less than its intro price last year. So it is so it's a little more affordable, and um, you know as David said, it's just a little box. So you have you have to get all the other the monitor and the keyboard and all those things to go with it. So at the end of the day, you will be spending more, um, more than that $699. But because of the nature of remote work, and I think more people like to be portable, it does feel like a desktop computer just has less appeal than I used to think it did. At least that's me. I know there are a lot of people who still use desktop computers, but... Yeah, um, and the other thing to warn people about, and we kind of mentioned this already, but um, for the Mac Minis, it's only the computer. So while 699 sounds really cheap for an Apple computer, and it is, part of the reason why it's so cheap is you then need to turn around and buy a monitor, and you need to turn around and you need to buy a keyboard and a mouse. Um, and so it, it, it is a little bit more of a complicated purchase because of that, especially if you're someone like me who really likes having a nice, large, high-quality monitor. Suddenly you're adding $1,000 extra just for that monitor. Um, and so uh, it's there are some people, if you know that you do not need portability, like let's say you have a laptop that you love and you're going to take around, but you do want to have a, a computer just for your home office, um, it may, there's some people where that makes sense for, but it's tough because also the iMac is just a great computer. But again, are you going to buy an Intel-based iMac right now? I don't know that you are. I'm sorry, I'm talking in circles, but this is a really difficult announcement. I know it is. Yeah, I mean, we've bought Mac Minis at the office before, um, and it was, you know, it's like we knew that it wasn't, it didn't need to be portable, and we already had extra monitors. Like, I feel like there's a lot of kind of like corporate environments where a Mac Mini might make sense, but for like a personal consumer purchase, I have a hard time thinking it seems like that great of an idea. Yeah. Um, so I just have one more parting thought, which I want to sort of put this in a broader context. Cause I think, I, I feel like we sound, we all sound a little bit negative right now. And I think the reason why is because this is a very large shift for Apple. When you switch your processor of a computer, it's a really big deal. And so I want to kind of look past the horizon a little bit, because I think that Um, Number one, Apple is taking a very large risk in doing this, and I applaud them because Apple under Tim Cook's leadership is sometimes a little bit conservative 
Uh, and this is not a conservative thing to do. And they, I think, really believe that they will get much better computers in the long run with this move. I think that they really believe that they will be able to have uh, both because they can control it end to end and also because ARM is just a better infrastructure that they will have a lot better computers. So I think part of why we're being a little bit negative right now is because we're looking at the first generation of a brand new product for Apple, essentially, even though it's like the 20th generation of Macs or whatever. It's new because it's a new chip. And I think, you know, give it a few years, I think we may all be saying, wow, this was a really great move by Apple. And so I just want to add that context. I think that this was actually an exciting announcement, just not if you happen to be in the market for a computer today. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And for our question of the week, let's find out what people listening thought of the announcement. Um, what do what do you think of the M1 chip? And are you planning on buying an Apple Silicon Mac? Email us at podcast at iphonelife.com to let us know. And I wanted earlier just to jump right into the announcement coverage, but we did have some fun comments from listeners from our last couple of episodes that I wanted to share with you all. Um, so I was asking what devices people were buying over the last couple episodes because the iPhone 12 Pro Max and Mini and HomePod uh, Mini just went went out for pre-order recently. Uh, so that's only just recently became available. So here's what some people had to say. Um, I'm waiting to order an iPhone 12 Pro Max, gold, 256 gigabytes. Glenn, PS, at the age of 75, I didn't sleep last night. You would think Santa was coming. <laughs> I loved that. I read that (laughs) comment and I chuckled. I I feel like that's like, I can relate to that fanboyism so hard of being just so excited for a new Apple product and knowing that like other people in my life do not relate to that in the same way. (laughs) Well, also like when an Apple, like just even the packaging of Apple products is so nice. Like when it like arrives on your doorstep, how exciting it is and uh, unboxing it and everything. Uh, So we have someone else here, Joseph. I just placed my Apple pre-order for the iPhone 12 Pro Max. I also ordered the clear case, a Belkin screen protector, and the USB-C power adapter, which I thought was cool because we were just talking about in our last episode about the Belkin screen protector and like having a clear case so you can see the nice design because both David and I especially really like the new design. Um, So I was glad, Joseph, that you liked our recommendations. He says, P.S. I really appreciate the quality of the work you do at iPhone Life. Your tutorials, tips, guides, etc., are outstanding. Keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. That made us all so happy, and I shared it with the whole team. <laughs> I've ordered the 12 Pro Max, 128 gigabytes, Pacific Blue. I'm a photo enthusiast and ordered this primarily for its improved camera, upgrading from the 11 Pro. Bob. Then we've got one more. Hello, I ordered the iPhone 12 Pro Silver. Pacific Blue was a longer ship time, but I would have loved it. Also ordered a new iPad Air in order to get the 256 gigabytes of storage. I love the larger sizes, but like that the Air will fit into most handbags on the occasions that I want it. You guys help me a lot. I'm 76 years old and you help me keep up. Thanks, Lynn. Thank Thanks you, everyone guys. for writing in. You it's fun to hear about- such great messages. I know, it's so fun to hear. Um, about what people's purchases are too. I I also went with the silver, but I'm very curious about what the Pacific Blue looks like in person. I haven't been into any stores to like see it firsthand yet. 
No, I haven't seen it either. Can I tell you what we forgot to do? What? <laughs> we forgot to plug Insider. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, well, th- this is a good segue because as you can see, some of the people who wrote in, I think, already are subscribers. Yes. Uh, so iPhone Life Insider is our premium educational service where we teach you to master your iPhone and iPad. Uh, and we do this through video versions of our daily tips. So you can learn something really useful in just a minute a day. You also get guides. So you can learn about all about the latest operating systems, all about your new devices. Um, we have classes quarterly where you can join live courses and, instru- and um, sorry, where you have live instructors and you can interact with your fellow students. You get a digital subscription to iPhone Life magazine, including our full archive. And if you're having any tech issues, you have access to our experts who will help you find solutions to your tech problems. So it's a pretty amazing offer. If you go to iphonelife.com slash podcast discount, you get a discount off of your annual subscription. So we recommend that you go and do that. Um, and so that's, that's a special discount that's only available to you as a podcast listener. Yeah, and a couple quick things to add uh, before we let y'all go. Number one, we have just updated a bunch of guides for iOS 14 and iPad OS 14. So we've updated our iPad guide for iPad OS 14. We have, a, I think, five new lessons there. We've updated our Messages app guide and also our FaceTime guide for iOS 14. So a lot of new content we're putting in there regularly. Uh, Number two, we have a new issue coming out of the magazine that you get a digital subscription to. Number three, Donna and I are often the hosts for, or the the instructors for the classes. So if you like listening to us in the podcast, you'll be able to hang out with us more and actually uh, interact with us, ask us your questions. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Already with the courses are relatively new and the last couple times where we've been able to get to know some of the insiders more one-on-one has been really cool. So uh, we hope that some of you join us. iphonelife.com slash podcast discounts. Last time I'll plug it. (laughs) Yeah. So thanks everyone for tuning in. And also real quick, if you send us, if you answer a question of the day, which is, are you going to buy a Mac? Uh, if so, which one? Also, please let us know why. Because we get a lot of emails from people who just go, I'm buying an iPhone 12. And I love hearing from you, even if that's all you have to say. But then we don't usually read it out because it doesn't actually, we need a little bit more of the why so that we can read it out. So please tell us why. (laughs) Yeah, podcast at iphonelife.com. All right, we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks everyone for tuning in and see you, David. Now I'm in Florida, he's in Iowa, so (laughs) this is our chance to hang out. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Don and I always joke that this is our social hour. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. Bye.